Welcome to Novation Church. I'm glad you're here. My name is Mark Bullion. I'm the associate pastor for Novation, and I'm encouraged that you're here. Thank you so much for being part of our family today. If you have been with us for a couple of weeks, you know that we are in the middle of a, a series called Seasons, and we've looked at the seasons of loneliness, temptation, stress, and if you haven't got a chance to listen to some of those, I would encourage you to go online and listen to it. Go to novation.com org and uh, listen to them and uh, catch up a little bit. But today we're going to talk about the seasons of failure. Now, I don't want this to be a Debbie Downer because it's not going to end that way. I want you to know that right here and now. Failure can be defined as this. It's the falling short of success or achievement in something expected, attempted, desired, or approved. See, failure can come in many different avenues. Sometimes the dip, one of the avenues is something that we've done based on our own, it's our own fault. And that, that may be a mistake we've made. Disobedience, poor decisions, maybe even sin. But sometimes failure comes through no fault of our own. And, and I think I'm gonna touch across the board today that I think you will all be able to, to understand and recognize. But sometimes it's a, not our, our fault of our own. Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe somebody is not able to get pregnant. Maybe it's a disease that your body has developed. Or maybe even, maybe something is like a careless driver. Failure comes in many different shapes and sizes. And it leads many times to the similar feelings of distress, guilt, and even shame sometimes. And I want to say that failure, if you let it, doesn't have to be a bad thing. And we're going to talk about today. And I know some people are probably wondering, what does that mean? For the basis of our message today, we're going to, we're going to take a look at some scriptures. And we're going to talk about Peter specifically today. And um, out of all the apostles, I think I can relate to Peter the most, and I think many people can too. He's, uh, just, he lives out on the edge of the uh, edge, of, on the cuff, and, and he speaks his mind sometimes without using that filter in his head, and he does things sometimes without thinking prior to it. Um, I'm guilty of that. So follow along on the screen as I read from Matthew 4, and it says this. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. So let's get a little small glimpse of Peter. This is a man who's a fisherman now by trade, and he gets the opportunity to walk alongside of Jesus. He gets to, to be with Jesus for three years of his life, learning, watching, studying, gleaning wisdom from Jesus himself. I would give anything to have that opportunity. That would have been so cool. But we do get that today, don't we? We still get to do that. In some circles, Peter is noted as being one of, the, of uh, Jesus' three main men. Later in the book of Matthew, something happens. Jesus predicts his, the, the failure, the denial of Peter. Now, this is not on the screen, but I want you to listen to this. It says this in Matthew 26. Then Jesus told him, this very night you will fall away on the account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of his flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if, I, if, even if all fail away on account of you, I never will. 
Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the disciples said the same thing. They all nodded in agreement. That's in Matthew 26, 31. Did you catch that in that story? Peter vowed not to be that guy. I'm not going to do it. That won't be me. No way. So we know what happens next in the story. They come and they arrest Jesus and he's taken away. And Peter's incognito and he's mingling in the crowd. And it happens that Peter begins to deny knowing who Jesus is. And it comes true three times. Peter is somebody comes up to him and says, hey, you're one of that, the followers of Jesus. And he goes, no, it wasn't me. Well, you are, that's the guy. And no, the last time that he was accused, we see in the book of Mark, and I read this and I, I found it amazing that Peter begins to curse and swear. You know, trying to deny, that's not me. Even to the point, his, the oath that he was making was denying Jesus with an oath that says, may God strike me dead if I'm lying. That's pretty harsh. It's not me. I don't know that man. Matthew 26 goes on to let us know Peter's feelings at this point. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus he had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. This is what I want you to hear. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. That's in Matthew 26, 75. He did exactly what he said he would never do. Failure, right? We could categorize it as that. Notice he didn't shrug his shoulders and he goes, my bad. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't throw up his hands in disgust and throw stuff down. He feels utterly terrible that he weeps bitterly. I don't know about you, but I, I haven't wept bitterly in a long time. But that's that uncontrollable, your eyes hurt, you, you're gasping for air. He feels like a failure. Peter said he, what he, he did, what he said, and he never would do. Does that sound, that sentiment ring true for you? Is there something you vowed that I'm not ever gonna do that? I would never lie. I won't ever steal. I would never cheat. I won't get angry. I'll never get addicted. I will love you forever. I will never fall away. Some things that I was thinking about. Peter's denied Christ. He wept bitterly. And Peter accepts this as failure. Feeling that sense of failure after Jesus' death, Peter goes back to doing what he knew how to be, a fisherman. He went back to his trade. Jesus is now gone. He doesn't know what to do. He feels like a failure. I'll just go back to know what I do and know what I know to do. And the cool thing, the story doesn't end here. And on the screen, you can read with me in John 21 what happens. And it says this, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, and also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter, Simon Peter told them. And they all said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, then throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. We're going to take a time out there. 
These guys are fishing all night long. It's not like my little fishing ex- excursions that last about an hour or two hours. I stand on a dock, and, and if I get bored enough later and we don't catch anything, we go home. These guys are out on a boat. They're in the middle of the sea. They've been fishing all night long. They're probably tired. They probably don't smell good. Sitting on a boat all night long. And here's a dude that's on the shore and says, hey, cast your nets over on the other side. We don't know the time frame in between that period and the next word. I don't know how long that was. But I've got to believe that some of them were shaking their heads going, who's this guy? Why? We've been doing this all night long. What is it good going to do if we, we cast it on the other side? Unpause. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around himself for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water and he started swimming. But he swam faster than Michael Phelps. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Let me give you some facts about failure. Guess what? We all fail. We are all going to fail. Secondly, having a failure does not make you one. And I want to repeat that again. Having a failure does not make you a failure. This morning I got up. I had made the coffee last night before I went to bed. And um, Mr. Coffee didn't, the thing didn't click all the way in. So this morning the coffee had brewed all over the counter all over the floor, into the the silverware drawer and underneath. We had coffee grounds everywhere when I got up this morning. I failed at clicking that little pot in there all the way. Does that make me a failure? No. Made a little error. I won't ever do that again, I promise you, because that was a long time to clean up coffee before I could have any. I almost wanted to go like this on the counter. I I felt sad, wringing out the bounty in my mouth. Because, I, because of that, that, that fault, that doesn't make me a failure. It doesn't make my coffee maker a failure. Just so happened to be the way it is. Third fact about failure is we often have the wrong perspective of what truly is a failure and what is a, a success. Do you guys know the story of Thomas Edison? He's an inventor. He invented things like the microphone and the phonograph and the light bulbs Most of the things that you're seeing up here on the stage, Thomas Edison invented. Storage batteries, talking movies, and over 1,000 other inventions. As an inventor, do you think he failed? He had to have. It had to. As an inventor, he did. And he's quoted as saying this after disappointing encounters. This is cool. He says, I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways that it didn't work. Do you see what he did? He didn't take that as a failure. He took, he, he took, his perception was taken off and he realized that didn't work. What can I do next? What can I do to make it work? It is a matter of perspective. And sometimes we have to have those lenses. We have to take our lenses off and look through the lenses of God. What is he saying about that? Our failure, or yeah, our failure may be the catalyst for a greater plan for God. I want you to catch that, that your failure, that, that thing that maybe you're eating inside, that's eating inside of you, or something you made, you did yesterday or whatever, 
it could be a catalyst for something that God wanted to do. And he's just using that to steer you in a different direction. The faces of failure can look like this. They can look like disappointment. I wish I could see your faces better. I'd ask you guys to make the same faces. The faces of failure can look like discouragement. They also look like, they also look like dissatisfaction. My son's a competitive baseball player. And even in his greatest days on the field, I can see disappointment, discouragement, dissatisfaction because he's wrong seven times out of 10, swinging that bat. He connects occasionally and that happens, but he's gonna fail. Baseball players fail more than they succeed. Do you know that? I see it in my daughter doing back handsprings on a, on a beam that's four inches wide. And she's falling off and falling off and falling off and she gets back up and she's got that look, the, the 3Ds right there. But the time that she, she sticks it for the first time, all those Ds go away. It's like, oh. Do you have disappointments? Discouragements, dissatisfactions? I'd be willing to bet that you do. We do. So in a season of failure, there's a couple of things that we need to know and we need to do. Number one is that when we're in a season of failure, we need to repent and return to faithfulness. If you're taking notes, that, that the word repent means doing a 180, going away from what you were doing. God's definition of success is faithfulness. That's his, it's, it's just being faithful. Faithful in the little things, faithful in, the, in your work, faithful in your family. That's God's definition of, of success. It says in Philippians 3.8, it says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. All the other things in this life, he categorizes as garbage to knowing who Christ is and being with him. If you fail, repent and be obedient to God. Get back on track. And I'm not saying, you know, pick your, that proverbial pick yourself up by your bootstraps. But there is an element of that. You gotta pick yourself back up. You can't sit there and wallow in it. Don't allow the failure to dissuade you from following God's original plan. If you fall, get back up and just keep going. Don't stop. It's important that you don't stop. It's important that you, when you fail, you don't turn away and go the other direction again. Be obedient to what God is saying. Be faithful in your obedience. The second thing in a season of failure that you need to do, and I love this, you need to fail forward. Fail forward. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We need to fail forward. Um, what was spoken up on, um, today by Adam, somebody was failing forward. Uh, you know, they, they, were, they were working on something in their heart to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just give this to someone else. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pay it forward almost. And Adam was the recipient of that, of someone doing that. We need to do that in our own lives. When we fail, we need to fail forward we need to understand that it's not necessarily making us a failure. We may have failed, but it's not who we are. 
An author once penned this quote. It said, success is built on the mountain of failure. Success is built on the mountain of failure. When you fail, not if you're gonna fail, when you fail, learn the lessons that he wants you to learn. I truly believe there's an ounce of truth in everything that happens. And sometimes when we fail, even if it's my own stupidity and my own fault, I've gotta look for that hint of truth in there. What, it is, what is it that God is asking of me? How can I take that and turn it for good? Allow that failure, taking it and just saying, and allowing that failure to grow you closer to God, not to push it away, not to push God away. Get to know God better. And let the experience, no matter how painful it is, make, let it change you. Let it change you. Thirdly, in a season of failure, we need to press on in God's power. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to, be, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Some of you guys have heard the, the saying, um, forgive and forget. When failure happens, let it be buried when you're done with it. Don't dig it up again because it's not gonna do you any good. Learn from those mistakes you've made, but there's no need to rehash it, dig it back up. Sometimes when I'm doing premarital counseling, I tell people this, don't, don't dig up old bones. There's, no, there's nothing, nothing good about that. We can learn from it. How many of you guys would understand that it's easier to obey the very first time than it is to disobey and then have to face the consequences? I wish. I wish I, I didn't have to do that, but you know what? I often do. Jesus just simply wants us to obey him. He wants us to obey because you know why? Father knows best. You know that? When the disciples obeyed his commands, they caught more fish than they can manage. They, th they, they finally got to that place. Remember when I took the time out and they threw the nets over on the other side and all of a sudden they can't, they can't get enough manpower to bring in all the fish. The same thing could be happening to us, that God is asking us to do something through obedience, and all we have to do is cast our net on the other side. But how many of us, and I'm guilty of this, don't choose not to, or keep my net on the other side? And I'm missing success just by that far. It's the difference between winning and losing in a football game, isn't it? You guys saw the Michigan game, Michigan State yesterday. All he had to do was catch that ball and just lay down on it. They were winning the game and the ball was hiked and he fumbled it and he muffed it and the team picked it up and ran it in the end zone. It was a matter of just this much. I would consider, he, he, I'm sure that, that, that punter is now considering that as a failure today. I hope, I hope that he will listen to the message. I hope that he understands that he's not a failure. He made a mistake. My favorite part of the story is this. Oh, hang on. Jesus used the experience to show Peter the impact that his life could have if we just simply obey. And he wants us to learn that lesson. We just simply need to obey. So here's my favorite part of the story. After Peter had failed, Jesus did something amazing. Do you know what he did? He restored Peter. Dusted him off and said, you're not a failure. I've got other plans for you, great plans. 
After a meal, Jesus pulls uh, Peter aside in John 21, and they're having a conversation, and Jesus looks at Peter in three different times, says, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. Later on in the conversation, do you love me? He goes, yeah, I love you. I told you that once, yeah. Third time during the conversation, do you love me? And Peter actually gets a little bit perturbed at the questioning, and he goes, yes, I love you. And Jesus said just three things. Then follow me. Then follow me. Jesus said to Peter, do what I told you to do. Go back to what I told you to do the first time. How many of you as parents have uttered those words to your children? Just do what I tell you to do. Don't argue. Don't, don't. Usually when I do that with my own kids, and they're here in the, in the auditorium today, it's usually followed up with a shh, shh. Right? I'm, just, just do what I tell you to do. My picture in my head as I was reading this is Peter and Jesus are having that conversation and Jesus looks and says, do what I tell you to do. And Peter goes, but, but, but. And Jesus taking his finger and putting it on in Peter's lips. Shh. Shh. It's okay. Peter goes on and he accepts the mission. And one result that we see is amazing. It comes from Acts 2.41. He becomes the first great voice of the gospel during Pentecost. And it says in Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to that number that day. Here's a guy who failed. God restores. He could have wallowed in that failure and gone back and just done nothing. But he accepts the failure. He accepts knowing that he's not a failure And he moves on, he presses on, and what does God have for him? Some amazing things. 3,000 people one day gave their heart to Christ because of the words that Peter spoke. That's amazing. That's restoration right there. All of that after the perceived failure. We've all found ourselves in times of our own perceived failure. As parents, and I was thinking of this, and these, these couple of notes that I have are based upon the people that are within our own congregation. But as parents, does anybody have a child who has abandoned their faith? That's not a failure. I want you to know that. In school, has anybody ever here failed a class or a test? You're not a failure. In our business or employment, has anybody ever made a mistake or even worse, been let go because of that? You're not a failure. In our marriages, has anyone ever strayed or forgotten their vows? You're not a failure. In our sin, we all have that. We're not free from that. From this moment forward, I wanna ask you a question that you will ask yourself the next time that you do find yourself in a failure situation. Would you do that for me? Would you ask yourself a question when that happens next? And it may be as soon as, you know, 11.45 when we leave here today. But this is the question. When I've failed, how can God turn this around for his good? It's not that you have to turn it around for good, but allowing God to take whatever it is that happened and to turn it for something good. When we've failed, we need to give it back to God, repent, say, continue to lead me, God. If I know anything, I know this, that God can and usually does, he capitalizes on that failure 
to lead to something good. I got a video that I want you to watch and um, we'll come back in a few minutes to wrap everything up and talk about it. before who's not seen that brings tears to my eyes I've probably seen it three or four or five times this week every single time starts out that song his life is over failure but at the end you see the redemption you see what God has produced from that um, I've invited Vanessa Cook to come up and see us today you all know Vanessa she was singing so beautifully earlier 
And uh, I wanted to ask uh, just a couple of questions of her, just give, let her have a little bit of time to um, answer. But Vanessa, what does that song mean to you? Well, um, it kind of shows my life when I was younger. Um, I'll start off by sharing a story that my mom shared with me when I was about 11 years old. Um, she had told me a story that changed her life forever. I'm going to get emotional. Sorry. Um, she shared with me that she had become pregnant at a young age due to a really bad circumstance and um, chose abortion and how that affected her life forever. And she's never been the same from that. And so fast forward to me being 15 years old, I became pregnant. And that changed my life. Um, I went from having all ten of friends and um, getting phone calls all the time to phone calls started to stop and just at home alone um, during my pregnancy and that allowed me time with God to, um, to pursue a relationship with Him and to prepare for my new upcoming baby. Um, it, it changed my life, but I'd say the day that I went in to have him, um, it was a hard labor, and his um, heart rate kept dropping, and I made the decision, being a kid myself, to sacrifice my thoughts of a C-section to, to make sure he was safe. And so with that, that's when I felt like I went from a child to an adult where I put my child's life in front of mine, and that really... Um, made me put him first, always. Um, after that, I tried to keep the relationship with his father going, and I thought that's what was best for Aiden. And so it was years and years of um, just an abusive um, relationship. And then one day when I turned 18, I decided it was a good idea to move in with him. And um, it came to the point where the abuse reached its limit. And so that's when I decided this was no longer good for Aiden, that I needed to get out of that. And so then I was just a single mom, working really hard, going to school, trying to figure out how am I gonna, you know, raise this child by myself. And then um, God brought Jeremy into my life. And uh, just to think, I felt like I was such a burden um, having a child, so I never thought I would get this nice Christian man, and I even met him at church, out of all places, so. <laughs> God really um, has redeemed that, and um, Jeremy has even been able to adopt Aiden, so he does have a legal father That's right. as well. So. That's amazing. I love that story, and I've, I've known that. Absolutely. I would have assumed there was probably some times right after you found out that you were pregnant that you felt like that, uh, that video. Yeah. And... Uh, didn't know what you were going to do and what your life was going to end up looking like. But um, if you guys know Vanessa and Jeremy, they have three beautiful boys. Um, great family. Uh, Vanessa just turned. I'm not going to tell your age. <laughs> Vanessa, what would you say to someone who's listening um, based on your story, your, your redemption story? What would, you say, what would you say to them if they feel are feeling like a failure? I would say that God will work everything out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I truly believe that. And um, going from my mom's story 
to that, um, that dark place in her life. He used that for good. One day she'll be able to meet her little baby in heaven, which is um, hope for the future for her. And because of her decision and her sharing her failures with me, if she didn't do that, who knows what I would have decided when I became pregnant. But God used that for good so that I was able to make my decision really easily. Um, and then Aiden changed my life because he, I was in, I was partying and going down a really dark path and God just stopped me in my tracks and um, led me towards him. Um, another thing is the relationship I was in with his father, even though it was horrible, God used me to his family and they, when I first met them, none of them knew God and um, God used me to be a light in their lives because by the time I decided to leave um, their lives, they be they became Christians. They started going to church every week and listening mm. to Christian music. So even though that was a horrible time in my life, God still used that. Um, and from being a single mom to working hard, I'm a stay-at-home mom now. And I never thought that that would happen. So Absolutely. God's just... Just um, just know that God has a plan. And even if you don't see it on this side of heaven, it will, he, if he says it will happen, it will. That's right. We, we can never underestimate God. That's what I have learned. Never underestimate what he's capable of doing. It says that God can do anything, and that's true. He can use any situation. He can use any and all of our faults to benefit us for good, and to benefit other people too. You, your, your life is, you've blessed Jeremy because of those, those, those decisions that you made such a long time ago. And now you get the opportunity to pay that forward to the next generation. Vanessa's um, an amazing woman, and uh, she, she comes and she's gonna be speaking to our high schoolers soon, and, and she's, she's a just the, what, she, what God, she's allowed God to do in her life, she now gives it back tenfold. And she worships and she brings us into that presence of God every single um, time that she's up here on the stage along with Grant and the rest of the band. So I wanted to wrap it up with this, that Hebrews 13.5 says this, and this is God's promise to us. He said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And that is the truth. We need to look to Jesus for our comfort. We need to take our, our gaze off the failure. I'm pretty sure that when we do, we've looked, at it, we've looked at it long enough. It's time for us to take another look at something else. Your failure might be big, but I'm here to tell you something, that God is bigger. God is bigger than that failure. And to encourage you to let him be your strength in that. So I'm gonna close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to be here, to, to hear this message, to, to hear the worship that was brought to us before, Father God. When we quiet ourselves, Father God, I know that each one of us has something in our lives that we could look at as it was a failure, a perceived failure. But Lord, we recognize today that we don't want that to be our legacy. Because of our mistake, that doesn't make us a failure. So Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today in the, in the sound of my voice that they would take a fresh look at their life, that they would take what they're doing themselves and just like Peter did, be obedient 
cast that net. Do what God is asking us to do and to continue to walk forward and to see maybe, just maybe, this side of heaven, the, the benefit of that failure in our lives. Lord, I pray if there's somebody who's struggling with a failure and they don't know how to, how to rectify that, that they reach out to somebody, that they make a phone call today, that they, 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 they text somebody, they, they, they get with somebody, Lord God. Ultimately, I want them to get to you. Lord, I'm grateful for these people. Bless them tremendously, Lord God. Help us to walk in faith, in love, and encouraging with our words, our hands, everything that we do, Lord God. We want to be a blessing to you. We're so grateful for you dying on the cross for our sins. Thanks for giving us that freedom. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.